day, all day, you've been pissing me off. You, him, yeah, get him out the game, because he sucks. He's awful. He stinks. I hate him. I hate his guts. My name is Alan, and I'm a Knicks fan. The opening clip is allegedly me yelling at a Knicks game, but I can neither confirm nor deny those rumors. All right, look, it is me, but so, so what? Like when I first posted that video, people were like, oh my God, how embarrassing. Look at how the way people are looking at you. Like all of a sudden I was supposed to quote unquote behave because I'm around white folks. Like I'm at a basketball game, go fuck yourself. And like I'd yell and scream at my TV if I was watching from home, like the bar, the nosebleed seats. But the moment I'm courtside, I have to chill because of white gaze. Like you guys got me fucked up. I, I love making white people uncomfortable. And I utterly despise how some, some black people, like they feel the need to tell others to pull up your pants or you know stop slouching. Like shit like that makes me like truly mad. I'm not kidding. And very few things make me mad, but like, even the way everybody was like making a fuss about Montrez Harrell calling my new arch nemesis, you know, Luka Doncic, because fuck that guy. He called him a bitch ass white boy. Like, as a white man, if bitch ass white boy or any name calling is the worst thing that a black person has done to you, be grateful. Because the day my people are ready to reciprocate the energy white people have given us, may God be with you. And it's hilarious how you know equality is only enforced when a black person does something that white people deem as wrong. Whatever. This episode of Learn Life is entitled Hard Nick Life. And it's an obvious play on my favorite album ever, Hard Knock Life. I'm going to run through the history of the Knicks as I know it. Nick fans are the greatest fans in sports, bar none. Like, I don't care about how your grandparents used to sell peanuts for this team and, you know, your auntie used to sleep with that goaltender from that. I don't care. Nick fans are the greatest fans in sports. Now, either that's a compliment or a testament to how stupid we are, but we're here. And as always, please remember, fuck James Dolan. What's he doing Why would up he there? Do that? He's a jackass. <laughs> See, the thing about Nick fans for me is this. We're loyal to the Knicks, like not the personnel. We're loyal to MSG, not its management. And I think that's what people don't really understand because LeBron has created, you know, fans of individual players. And if he didn't create it, he damn sure like popularized them. And you know what? His talent is like worthy of such loyalty. But like the flip side for me is that I don't understand how anyone can feel comfortable being a fan of three teams in a span of six seasons. Like when the Cavs won in 2016, how can a Los Miami Cavs fan take pride in a championship that a city was deprived of for 50 years? And let me be very clear about something. I love LeBron. I just hate his fan base. Like, why would you want to be called a witness? Like, Beyonce, she has the beehive. That sounds cool. Rihanna, she has the navy. That sounds all right. Like, I wonder what Russell Wilson's stand group is called. Because that's what I'm in. I'm in that group. And it has nothing to do with football. It's the fact that he calls himself dangerous. Do you understand that? Dangerous, but dangerous. Like Russell Wilson is the danger. 
That's just special to me, man. He's a special guy. And he's dangerous. I'm blown away by him. But yeah, like, why would you want to be called a witness? It gives me uh, first 48 vibes. I'm too old to be saying vibes. I, I apologize to my constituents. Like, there's certain things I'm just too old to do. I told y'all, like, I don't be keeping up with trends that aren't meant for me. Go talk to your little friends like that. I'm not wearing jeans that show my thighs and knees. I'm a respected member of my community. I'm a pillar of my community. And I ain't going to be out here just showing kneecaps through my jeans. That's just not what I'm doing. It's always a trend. Everything's a trend. Like when everybody wore a future hat. They look like a bunch of assholes. Like everybody's at brunch dressed like a fucking widow. Like if you don't get out my damn face while I'm trying to enjoy my meal. Like I'm over here eating waffles and here you come dressed like Mary J. Blige. But like I said, Nick fans are just Nick fans. Like there's no need for any funky names or gimmicks. Like we don't even have a mascot. Because we are the mascot. And this idea that the Nets run NYC is always going to be laughable because where exactly are they getting their fans from? Nick fans don't leave. We don't do the, I'm rooting for the city. Like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. Like, say if the Nets did win, right? Then they run the town. Well, the White Sox won before the Cubs did. And not one person in Chicago believed there was a White Sox town. They knew the Cubs still ran Chicago. So, like, say the Nets win. The story won't be about them winning. The story's going to be about the Knicks losing, the Knicks not winning, the continuous, you know, futility. And if you ever notice, it's never a Knicks fan being the voice for Knicks fans. It's always someone looking to create noise or someone with an agenda. And, like, one of my only agendas in life is to make people think differently while laughing in the process. Yes, differently. I know people be like, oh, my God, you're trying so hard to be different. Like, I'm supposed to try hard to be the same. This ain't no fucking cult. Like, how you want people to be like you and being like you ain't even working out for you? Nick fans are what we are. We're Nick fans. I was that yesterday. I'm going to be that tomorrow. I'm going to be that when you ask me in 2048. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Nick fans are all these, like, knowledgeable basketball fans. Some of us are fucking idiots. And you know what? We are the literal definition of fanatics. I'm not going to read the fucking definition. Go look it up for yourself. We are irrational, but that's what fandom is. We are the New York Knicks. Not the players, not the coaches, not the management. Us, the fans. And that's what people don't get. We are the New York Knicks. They say go New York, go New York, go. Go New York, go New York, go. My first memory as a Knicks fan includes family, man. I have a very big family. And we would watch all the games together. But I have a confession to make. I was a Reggie Miller fan as a kid. I know it's blasphemy. I know, I know. But again, I, I like going against the grain. Like, the only time I don't go against the grain is when I see a group of black people running. We out. I don't care. I'll ask questions later. But yeah, Reggie Miller, that was my guy. He was the bad guy. He was the villain. I love that shit, man. And, you know, I would throw the ball around the court, catch, turn, and shoot, and yell, Reggie, or water. You know, you can't be a basketball player or a fan and not have a signature call like that. And honestly, there was nobody on the 90s Knicks to imitate. Like, Ewing would be the guy, right? But Patrick Ewing, like, eh. I mean, I had his sneakers. My cousin had the black Ewings. I had to go get the white ones, of course. He probably hated me for that because I did it all the time. Like, he had the original black and gray Air Raids, and I had to go get the white and black ones. And he's a little bit older than me. Like, we're very close in age. And I looked up to him, and I still do. So you see that right there? Like, that's what it's like to be a Knicks fan. It takes you somewhere. It's not about, like, true shooting percentages or per. You people can't get enough of per. Man, fuck the per. 
It's the nostalgia of yesteryear. It just feels good. And I know you guys are probably stuck on the fact that <laughs> I was a Reggie Miller fan. But as I've grown older, I hate him. Because think about it. Like, Reggie Miller's legacy is nowhere near anything that it is now without the Knicks. Like, without MSG. God, I fucking hate Greg Anthony and fucking John Starks. And a steal. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. <laughs> feel like I'm skipping over our history with the Bulls, but a rivalry usually includes both sides winning at some point, and Jordan and them used to kick our ass. Like, the Knicks went to the finals in 94 and 99. Do you know who won the championships in 93 and 98? Jordan and the Bulls. Do you know what happened that was different on our finals runs in 94 and 99? Jordan retired. Jordan is the GOAT, man. So there's not much to say about the Knicks-Bulls rivalry except for fuck Charles Smith. And I'm very mindful of how I speak to black people and I'm not a violent person, but it'll get dangerous if I ever run into Charles Smith. There's actually a few Knicks <laughs> that I have an on-site issue with. Chief among them are probably Charles Smith, Jared Jeffries, John Starks, and oh my God, Greg Anthony. And I can start there because Reggie Miller weighs like 87 pounds and Greg Anthony just let him toss him to the side and push him to the ground like it was nothing. And I was at this birthday dinner one time and Greg Anthony was there and I just stared a hole through him the entire night. And when the dinner was over, everybody was just like walking around or whatever. So I introduced myself to him and I straight up asked him, I was like, yo, how do you let Reggie Miller do that to you? And he was upset and he was like, yo, I'm not really here for all of that. And the funny thing is like, this is right before Uber became a thing. So like we were outside the hotel and these yellow cabs would just pull up or whatever. And do you understand that this man tried to skip me in line? <laughs> Look, I can tolerate a lot of shit. What I will never put up with is a cutter. And I straight up looked at him like, yo, you ain't skipping me, Greg. Like, that's just not happening. So, of course, you know, I get to my next destination or whatever. And who do I see in the club? Greg Anthony. And I enjoyed myself. But like in the back of my mind, you know, I'm on my shit. I'm like, yo, am I going to have to snuff Greg Anthony in this bitch tonight? <laughs> then, of course, there's John Starks. And I do not for the life of me, understand why Nick fans hold Starks in such high regard. Why? Because he looked like he dunked on Jordan. And that's dope until you remember the fact that Jordan averaged 41 points and the Bulls actually won that series. Like, what John Starks moment is there? I can name a few, actually. The fact that, you know, Reggie Miller basically made himself a Hall of Famer because John Starks guarded him. Think about, like, that 25-point fourth quarter in MSG in the playoffs. Or how about, like, when Jordan just came home from doing his gambling bid and he put 55 on Starks' head at MSG? Or how about the fact that Starks literally, he literally cost us a championship in 1994? Like, the Rockets did not win that finals. Starks lost it with that stupid-ass 2-for-18. Man, fuck John Starks. And one day, I'm not kidding you, I saw him in front of Macy's Herald Square one time. Like, it was snowing, and like, there was this big crowd, and I wanted to see what it was about. So I go over there, and much to my delight, it was fucking John Starks. Like, this was my moment. So I go over there, and I just start cursing him out. Like, I just start railing into him, and like, just telling him he ruined our lives, et cetera, et cetera, and all that stuff. So like, the crowd is all into it, back and forth or whatever. But it got broken up by security, and they asked me to leave. Man, fuck John Starks, man. At that time, I'm walking to the free throw line, and I'm thinking, like, man, did this dude just did this? You can't talk about the Knicks and not bring up Patrick Ewing. And before I give Patty Yu his flowers, I need to say this very clearly. Fuck Charles Oakley. Fuck Charles Oakley. I don't know who this nigga thinks he is lately. Oakley was a glorified enforcer. 
Oakley was a goon with a jumper, and now he's walking around town smelling himself like I didn't see him play. Now, don't get me wrong, Oakley was important. You need those grimy, get it out the mud. That's what the kids say, right? The mud. Oakley was the mud. Ewing was the superstar. Ewing was the franchise. Ewing was the one with all the expectations to save the New York Knicks from obscurity, and he did that. Not only did Ewing do that, but he did it with no help. Ewing had no help, and I'm speaking offensively. Ewing had no help on offense. Does that remind you of another Nick legend of recent years? Don't worry, we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. I'm on the Verrazano right now. I'm on my way to the 59th Street Bridge, and I'm going to make a sharp left when I get to second. I promise you. But please, give Patrick Ewing his fucking flowers. Patrick Ewing is the most disrespected player in NBA history, if not all sports history. Patrick Ewing is the most disrespected player in NBA history, if not all of sports history. Now, did Ewing win us a ring? No. And nobody will tell you how important winning championships is to your legacy more than me. So I accept that demerit on Ewing's resume. But winning championships is a collaborative team effort. And I've only seen one player win an NBA title by themselves. In some circles, they call him Big Jeff. In other circles, they call him Old Yellow Eyes. I simply refer to him as the GOAT, Michael Jordan. Go watch the 1998 finals. I don't want to hear about your hypotheticals. If such and such played in 1987 and such and such would have happened, shut up. Sports is what actually happened. Not whatever story you conjured up to make yourself feel better about your hero. Did Patrick Ewing miss that finger roll against Indiana? Yes. But how about the putback that sent us to the finals in 1994 against the Pacers? People love talking about failure more than victories because failure is more attainable and relatable. So yes, Ewing missed the finger roll in 1995, but he was also playing on one leg. I have a hypothetical, since we love doing that. If Ewing was healthy, he would have dunked it. Because I promise you, if Embiid had Ewing's leg issues, he wouldn't even show up to the arena. If Rudy Gobert had Ewing's leg issues, he would have called him sick. No, no, Rudy Apala, Rudy Apala, Papale Travail Jordia. I don't know, I'm just making, I'm Haitian, I don't know. Give Patrick Ewing his flowers. At worst, he's the second greatest Nick of all time behind Walt Frazier. And I don't mean rock with Clyde like that. Walt Clyde Frazier is 75 years old. The game and my ears have passed him by. He's always rooting for the opposition. He's always just doing the most sucking them off and shit. Then he'd be talking about posting and toasting. And niggas, we look at the scoreboard, we down 20. Ain't nobody trying to astound and bound when we down 30. Like, shut the fuck up. They don't even make niggas named Clyde anymore. The youngest Clyde in the world right now is 53 years old. Rosalind Gold should be the Knicks color analyst. I heard her on a summer league game one time, and she wasn't good. She was excellent, and she's from Queens. Give her the job. It's time for the Knicks to change everything. Get rid of the blue and orange while we're at it. And definitely get rid of the lack of respect for Big Pat. But AC didn't believe in fornicating, Mike. Goodness gracious, Clyde. <laughs> Nothing anybody did mattered much from 96 to 98 because Jordan was back. And when the GOAT is in the house, oh my God. But teams were gearing up for a post-Jordan world. And, you know, the Knicks getting Larry Johnson was so fucking dope. He wasn't quite Grandma Ma, but he was still Larry Johnson. And he was very much serviceable. But for me, it was getting Allen Houston that was important. I know, I know he gets a lot of flack for the nine-figure contract, but it's not like he was a bum. Now, was Allen Houston a franchise player? Absolutely not, but he was a solid two. 
And the other thing I think about when I think about 96 through 98 was our very, very real battles with the Miami Heat. And it all started when Pat Riley wanted everything he has now in Miami. He wanted that with us first. And we said no. It remains the single worst decision in the history of our franchise. And that's life. You know, one bad decision or mistake can become your entire identity. Whether that's right or wrong, that's just how shit goes. And the Knicks not giving Pat Riley what he wanted, it has doomed this franchise. Riley went to Miami and immediately built the Heat into, you know, his version, a younger version of the 90s Knicks with Morning playing the Ewing role. But the difference, Tim Hardaway. See, earlier I mentioned the Nike Air Raids that my cousin and I had, but they might as well have been called the Nike Tim Hardaways. Everybody used to say the straps on them made them a Jordan 8 knockoff. But the, like, the Air Raids came out first, and the straps represented Tim Hardaway's crossover, the UTEP two-step. That's what the straps were there for. Plus the fact that uh, Tinker designed both of the sneakers. But yeah, Tim Hardaway was a fucking problem. And the battles were intense enough, but to me, it was 99 when shit got real. Like I said, everybody was gearing up for a post-Jordan world. And in 99, he retired. And then, of course, there was the lockout. But when business opened back up, business was booming for the Knicks. We traded Starks for Latrell Sprewell. We traded John Starks for Latrell Sprewell. Sprewell was considered the most dangerous man in sports at the time, even more so than Rodman, whoever else. He was radioactive after choking P.J. Carlissimo and being suspended. But for me, I feel like this was the first and last time the Knicks took a real risk that actually worked. Then we got Marcus Camby. And let me tell you something, he's still in my top five favorite Knicks ever. We were the eighth seed in that 50 game season of 99. Ewing was hurt and he was slowing down as all centers do, but it didn't matter. We went down to Miami and we beat the one seed heat. Not without fights and controversy and such and such. And I promised you, if I ever see PJ Brown, it's gonna get very dangerous for him. Fuck you, PJ. Fuck you, PJ. But then, of course, the Allen Houston runner that sealed the series for us, oh, it was made so much more sweeter by the fact that he fucking imitated Tim Hardaway's fist pump after. It was the second greatest moment of the last 25 years for Knicks fans. The first, Larry Johnson's four-point play. Ask any Knicks fan where they were that night, and they'll tell you exactly where they were without any hesitation. I was at a Sweet 16. And this girl's uncle, she took us next door. He took us next door, excuse me. He took us next door and to this bar. And we were watching the game and shit. And like all the girls were in the other room, the ballroom next door, waiting for us to come back. And when LJ hit the four-point play, oh my God, we all ran into the street doing the L's with our arms and stuff. But you see how good that memory feels? Enjoy it. Because this conversation is about to get very dark. Very dark. Johnson cuts left, now fires a three, and it's good, and he's fouled, it counts, and he is fouled. Yo, Marv Albert is one nasty old white nigga, man, I swear to God. After 99, you know, the league felt like it was going to be ours, but of course it wasn't. Tim Duncan, Shaq, Kobe, all of them, they took over AI. And we weren't a bad team, but even our playoff losses weren't memorable. Like, we were just kind of there. And then the 2000s got fucking dark of course we traded ewing which for me was the right decision but it was the wrong trade and we went about it the wrong way and i feel like that's something that wouldn't have happened if pat riley was here then of course dolan took over my god frank laden then we traded camby and the rights to nene hilario 
for Antonio McDice, who was always fucking injured, and he looks like fucking Brian McKnight in the face. And the trade honestly didn't even make sense if McDice was healthy. Then we got Stephon Marbury, who everybody, myself included, owes an apology to. He's one of the greatest point guards in NBA history. He's a guaranteed 20 points, 6 assists, no matter who he was playing with, no matter who he was playing for. But then he ate Vaseline. Then he ate Vaseline on camera. Then there was Tim Thomas calling Kenyon Martin a fake tough guy, a Fugazi tough guy, which was wild to me because, you know, anyone who blinks as much as Kenyon Martin, that person is definitely up to no good. And Tim Thomas, yo, he used to be in the club with us all the time. It was this club called Lobby in NYC. And every Tuesday night, he was just there. And like, not just there, but like <laughs> he was like on the flyer and shit. And like he basically promoted the party. And that should tell you all you need to know about him. It explains a lot. Um, then there was Isaiah Thomas, who, you know, he must know something about Dolan that we don't. You know, Isaiah Thomas caught a sexual harassment charge and Dolan paid about $12 million to the woman employee who pressed those charges. And that's something that wouldn't fly today. And both of them would be out of the NBA, rightfully be out of the NBA today. And that relationship is so weird because even after that, he brings back Isaiah Thomas, he being Dolan, he brings him back to run the New York Liberty. So you're telling me a guy who got a sexual harassment charge in your building, working for your corporation, you bring him back to run a woman's team? Like, what does that say about you as a person, James Dolan? And what does that say about the NBA as a whole? Something ain't right, man. Um, then there was Eddie Curry, Clarence Weatherspoon, Keith Van Horn, Michael Doliak, Muchi Norris, Rick Brunson, Howard Isley, Frank Williams, Kintel Woods. I can go on for days. There was Penny Hardaway, Steve Francis, but they weren't Penny Hardaway or Steve Francis. Then there was the Larry Brown season. And then there was Jamal Crawford. And Jamal Crawford is a legend. But the Knicks tried to make a six-man the franchise player. Why in the fuck am I a Knicks fan? <laughs> My God. Yo, no bullshit. One day I was working at uh, Diddy's restaurant in Manhattan, uh, Justin's. I was there at Justin's one night. I'm working. I'm taking pictures. And Jerome James pulled up. Not in one Phantom, but in two. Like, he drove the black one and his boy drove the white one. Jerome James. And we signed him because he had one good playoff game with the Sonics. Like, he blocked, like, six shots in one game or something. And we gave him a deal. And I'm not a hater at all. Deadass. Like, honestly, I just don't give a fuck enough to hate on anybody. Like, I don't go out of my way to make it known that I don't care. I just don't care. Like, I've never seen anyone with something and thought, damn, I want what they got. And, like, the reason for that is that, like, everything I want in life, I have to create for myself. But I was hating on Jerome James that night, I can't lie. Then, of course, the 2009 draft came. And shit got dark. Like, we were all there to watch Curry get drafted to the Knicks. We had D'Antoni, you know, the point guard whisperer. This night was just basically supposed to be a coronation of Curry to MSG. Then Golden State took him one slot ahead of us. And we got Jordan Hill, who would become a useful piece for us later on. I'll explain that in a second, but we didn't get Curry. And then I went outside MSG to get on the train to go home, and I saw people crying. I'm like, damn, I thought I took the Curry news back. <laughs> but I hear Michael Jackson songs blaring everywhere. All I heard was Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, and it was because he died. 
the Knicks killed Michael Jackson. Not getting Curry was too much for his fragile heart to handle. Curry, way downtown, bang, bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! I told y'all Jordan Hill was useful because we got T-Mac and his expiring contract for Jordan Hill and Jared Jeffries. And Jared Jeffries is definitely a name I'm gonna be bringing back up shortly. Uh, but this trade afforded us two max contract slots. And the summer of 2010, as we all know, was the biggest free agent summer in NBA history. It still is. And there's this idea that nobody wants to play for the Knicks, and that simply isn't true. Sure, LeBron didn't want to play here. That's fine. But we did get my good friend, Amari Stoudemire. Now, we didn't sign a second max player because the Heat, you know, they formed the big three and they threw themselves a seven championship parade before even playing one game. But we had a legitimate star on our team. And that's something we hadn't had since Ewing was in his prime. And now notice I said star. I did not say superstar. Because February 22nd, 2011 happened. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. You just shivered. I know, I know you did. It was late. Sports Center was on my TV. We had breaking NBA news. Carmelo Anthony has been traded to his desired destination of Madison Square Garden. I'm coming home. The Knicks got mellow. The second most disrespected superstar in NBA history. We never had cap space to sign any of these players that people swear didn't want to play for the Knicks. Our cap situation was always fucked. The moment that we had cap space, we got an all-star in my good friend Amari and a franchise player in Carmelo Anthony. Did we trade too much for him? No. Because outside of Gallinari, like, who has had a decent career? I can't front. Where is Mozgov? Where is Wilson Chandler? And Wilson Chandler was my guy. He was one of my favorite Knicks at the time, but let's be for real. Where is he now? And we ended up getting um, Ray Ray Felton back. And people go, oh, we broke up the chemistry of the team. We broke The team was two games over 500. We were 28 and 26. What, what are you talking about? Now, was Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire the right mix of stars? No. But did Amari injure himself doing the dunk during the warm-ups in the playoff game? Yes. And then, of course, you know, there was the fluke of Lin Sanity, which, honestly, I never bought into. Uh, I knew it was bullshit from the jump. And D'Antoni actually tried to convince management and media and fans that, you know, we should build around Jeremy Lin instead of Carmelo Anthony. And please, I just want somebody to tell me one thing Lynn has done since those two weeks that he was hot. Other than sit during one of the most important playoff series ever against the Heat because he knew the Heat were making him look like food. Then everybody blamed Melo for getting D'Antoni fired, but went, what has D'Antoni done? <laughs> D'Antoni has never accomplished anything. Like, even with Harden, CP3, my fucking guy Westbrook, what has D'Antoni accomplished? He shaved his fucking Pringles mustache and is nothing but a habitual folder. That's why when, you know, CP3 and Harden lobbied for Melo to join them in Houston, D'Antoni got his revenge and basically got him blackballed from the league. And Because old white men are that petty. And, you know, it kind of simultaneously sent this message to CP3 that the Rockets weren't his team. And, like, it was like a two birds, one stone situation. I'm going to get rid of Melo, get my revenge on him. Because, mind you, Jeff Bedzelik, whatever, however you spell his name, he was the coach in Denver when Melo supposedly got him fired too. So it was this white man's revenge on Melo. It was a sabotage from the beginning. He stood no chance because look what he's done in 2020 on Portland. Now, 
is he the mellow that we knew him to be? No, but he's still very much a serviceable player. So how come it didn't work in that offense in Houston? It was complete sabotage from the beginning. And just think about it. Where are the Rockets right now? Somewhere folding. They've won nothing. And everybody else gets to blame. It, it was mellow. Then it was CP3. Now it's Westbrook. And even if Harden is a choke artist, because Harden is a choke artist, how does D'Antoni always escape blame? And that's why I thank God we replaced him with the firm hand of Mike Woodson. We went and we brought in a bunch of vets. And then when J.R. Smith came back from China, he was on his best behavior because he wanted a new contract. And Nick's tape was born. Mario Chalmers had Jeremy Lin under lock and key. He did everything but literally handcuff him. Now, we went to the playoffs a few times, you know, Melo and Amari. And we came up short. But Melo played out of his mind in some of those games. Like, he had 42, 17, and 6 in Boston. Then for some reason, Jared Jeffries decided to fall under the basket, going full Jared Jeffries, and then decided not to pass the ball to Melo like he was fucking Carlton in the Fresh Prince. If I ever see Jared Jeffries, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be dangerous for you, Jared Jeffries. But then I just think about the 2012-13 Knicks. And that was a fun-ass team, man. It was a team of older players, but you know they all knew how to play basketball the right way. And I know that sounds like the bare minimum to be an NBA player, but this is the Knicks that we're talking about. And for my money, Carmelo Anthony should have won MVP that season. He didn't have Wade. He didn't have Bosh. He didn't have my uncle's favorite player, Ray Ray. He didn't have Ray Allen. Melo had a 40-year-old Jason Kidd. And who, in my opinion, honestly, I think Jason Kidd is the greatest point guard in NBA history. That might be a hot take. I don't know. I just feel like what he's done on his own he elevated an entire franchise in new jersey to relevancy took them to the finals two years in a row and i understand people might look at the eastern conference was weak and as nah man jason could carry the team on both ends of the court he can control an entire game and not score a point that that's greatness right there so for me jason kidd's greatest point guard in nba history but yeah Melo had rasheed wallace marcus camby kenny martin all these old dudes all these guys that were past their prime they were all like 48 years old and he also had Tyson Chandler. And when I was in high school, <laughs> my basketball team played in this Nike tournament. And there were a few like collegiate stars, guys that were going to be playing in the NBA. But the big draw was Tyson Chandler. Because like this is before, you know, YouTube mixtapes. And all you had was like slam magazines. And, you know, you heard about players through the grapevine. And all we kept hearing was Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler. So we're in high school. And of course, you know, the only thing on our minds other than basketball is the cheerleaders. So my boys and I invited some to come to our hotel. And, you know, we're sitting there in this hallway just chatting them up. And then Tyson Chandler walked past us. And almost simultaneously, the girls got up and started sprinting after him. And my boys and I, we just sat there in shock for like 10 minutes. And then for the rest of the night, like we we're just all fired up talking shit about Tyson Chandler. So the next morning, you know, we get ready to go to this buffet breakfast they have for all the teams. So me and a couple of my guys, you know, we're going to this elevator or whatever. And we're still steaming from the night before. But the elevator door opens. And who is it? Tyson Chandler. <laughs> By himself, mind you. So now they all looking at me to say something because, you know, I just always have to be the person to say something or do something. And I tried to, like, say, like, the most intimidating New York thing I can think of at the time because at the very least we were going to jump Tyson Chandler in the elevator like you couldn't convince me otherwise we were going to fuck Tyson Chandler up so I'm like yo what the dilly done like what was the dilly yo you know what's really good I don't know what I said I said something 
like, yo, TC, man, that was foul, man. What you did, you took our girls, bro. What's good with you? And he just looked at me and he laughed. He was like, come on, dog. I ain't thinking about them, man. I'm going to the league, man. And I don't know. I sound like Terrence Howard. I meant Tyson Chandler. Whatever. So he walks out the elevator after, like, dropping these bars on me. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if he was being heartfelt or, like, hey, man, they might mean something to you. But, you know, I'm going to the NBA, little ass nigga. Like, so I just decided to hate Tyson Chandler. But, you know, as I've grown older, I realized he was teaching me a valuable lesson. He was teaching me to stay focused. And I, too, could have women being groupies for me. Nah, I'm bullshitting. I still hate fucking Tyson Chandler. And, of course, you know, the next time I see him speak, he's winning Defensive Player of the Year for the Knicks. And that's what it's like to be a fucking Knicks fan. And a hard screen on Chandler. And they're going to call a flagrant foul on him. Then, of course, Roy Hibbert destroyed Tyson Chandler. And it reminded me that the only TC I should ever acknowledge is Tommy Campos. And when we lost to Indiana, I thought Iman Shumper was going to be the best shooting guard in the world. And I, I was obviously still drinking heavily around this time. Then we traded for Bargnani. Then J.R. Smith got paid and proved his whole six-man-of-the-year season was a fluke. And the funny thing is, you know, Carmelo Anthony played better the season after we won 54 games. But his teammates fucking stunk. Like, I could never watch a Knicks game and think to myself, Carmelo Anthony was the problem. And I remember one time they were playing Charlotte, and I wanted to see Kemba Walker play. I never saw Kemba Walker play in person while he was in the NBA. I had seen him at UConn a few times. So I was this hype. I'm like, all right, I'm going to see Kemba at the Garden tonight. That's what's up. And then Scott hit me on Twitter and was like, yo, Kemba's injured. Kemba's not playing. So I sold my tickets, and I went to go do whatever else with my Friday night. Like, I did my laundry. I did a bunch of domesticated shit. I went and did the market. So I come back inside and I have, you know, these grocery bags in my hand. The next game is on. All I hear is Carmelo Anthony, 37 points at the half. And I just stood there like, yo, what the fuck? And he ended up having uh, 62 points that game. But that's just my life as a Knicks fan. And then, you know, we handed the keys to Phil Jackson, which made no fucking sense. That whole in Phil we trust was pure bullshit. Nobody runs the triangle anymore. And it's an offense that he didn't even invent. And just think about it, like, the only other job that Phil Jackson can get was with his ex-girlfriend in L.A. Jordan runs a whole NBA franchise. He owns an entire NBA franchise and didn't offer Phil Jackson a job. What the fuck does that actually say about Phil Jackson? But of course, you know, the Knicks, we love big names. Then Phil hires Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher. Then Phil uh, fucking signs 72-year-old Joakim Noah. And everybody's celebrating this because, you know, Nick fans are Nick fans. Then he traded for Derrick Rose. And Derrick Rose was in the middle of a civil trial for rape. And that's when I paused my fandom. I paused my fandom for that year because, you know, I couldn't actively support a basketball team that Rose played on. I followed every detail of that trial. And I have to say this, and I mean this shit. This is not a joke. Fuck Derrick Rose. Straight up. Fuck that nigga. But I go back to Melo and how Nick fans started to turn their backs on him because Phil Jackson made him out to be a scapegoat. So please allow me to rattle off Carmelo Anthony's Nick teammates. And then you tell me who's to blame. Sheldon Williams. Sean Williams. Bill Walker. Ronnie Turioff. Andy Routens. Roger Mason Jr. Jared Jeffries. Landry Fields. Ray Ray Felton. Tony Struglis Douglas, Anthony Carter, Chauncey Billups, a very washed Chauncey Billups, Iman Shumpert, Steve Novak, Jeremy Lin, 
Baron Davis, I love B. Diddy. He was washed. He was finished. Mike Bibby, he was 59 years old. Ronaldo Bachman, J.R. Smith, Quinton Richardson, Pablo Prigioni, Chris Copeland, Marcus Camby, he was 78 years of age. Ronnie Brewer, Metal World Peace, Benno Udrith, Chris Smith. Chris Smith was a favorite to JR, so he'd resign. Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin was 94 years old. Tim Hardaway Jr., Andrea Bargnani, Travis Ware, Lance Thomas, Jason Smith, Alex Fred, Shane Larkin, Langston Galloway, Clee Anthony Early. This one's going to hurt because he's Haitian. Samuel Dallenbert, Jose Calderon, Lou Admanson. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Fuck him. Derek Williams. Sasha Vukovic. Kevin Serafin. Kyle O'Quinn. Kyle O'Quinn is from Jamaica, Queens, but no, no. Robin Lopez. Jimmer Ferdet. Aaron Aflalo. Who the fuck spells Aaron this way? His, he spells his name A-R-R-O-N. Ron Baker. Willie Herman Gomez. Courtney Lee. Joe Kim Noah. Joe Kim Noah was 321 years old when he got signed. Kuzmiskis, Justin Holiday, Amari Stoudemire, we know his history. Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd was 40 years old at the time. Tyson Chandler, that's my arch nemesis. Kristaps Porzingis, fuck him too. Those were Carmelo Anthony's Nick teammates throughout the years. We didn't and we don't deserve Carmelo Anthony. This sorry ass franchise ruined his legacy. Anthony for three, puts it in! I genuinely love Kevin Durant. Uh, I believe he's the best basketball player in the NBA when he realizes that he's the best player in the league. But this idea that he never wanted to come to the Knicks, that's a flat out lie. He didn't come to the Knicks because Dolan wouldn't hand him the keys to the franchise. And that's a stupid fucking move on Dolan's part, but everything that James Dolan does is fucking stupid, so fuck him. He's the common denominator of everything I've outlined here. But KD can sit up there with his manager, who's a lifelong Knicks fan, and they can pretend like they hate the Knicks. But they wanted to be in MSG just as bad as we wanted KD here. Like, look at the hire of Steve Nash in Brooklyn. The Steve Nash hire was 100% a KD climbing move because, you know, the Nets were smart enough to give them the keys to the franchise. Meanwhile, <laughs> the Knicks are run by Leon Rose, Steve Stout, and William Wesley. And Drake said... I learned the game from William Wesley. You can never check me. But I tend to trust Hove more than I believe Drake. And Hove said, shout out to World Wide West. Everywhere we go, we leave a worldwide mess. That sounds awesome for the Knicks. Well, that's my time. I hope you enjoyed listening or at least laughing at my pain. And remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is your own reflection. I'll see you on the other side. Bye, Amore! Bye! Bye!